You're listening to the sermon cast of First Presbyterian Church Spartanburg. To watch the full video of this worship service and to learn more about the ministries of our church, visit us online at fpcspartanburg.org. We hope you enjoy the message. So this past Tuesday, the pastors, along with a number of elders from our congregation, traveled over to Easley, South Carolina to participate in the Foothills Presbytery meeting. Presbytery is just a fancy Presbyterian word for the regional gathering of Presbyterian churches here in the upstate. We had a long day full of different orders of business, some of it very mundane. We spent about 20 minutes, I kid you not, debating whether or not when a pastor retires, they should be called retired or honorably retired. But we also talked about more weighty matters, matters of power and authority and what happens when those who are trusted with power and authority abuse it. The whole time we were there meeting in the chapel of the Foothills Retirement Community where this particular meeting was held, I kept finding my eye being drawn up just above the chancel where the leaders of the meeting had been doing their business from. And just over the chancel was a stained glass window. I took a picture of it afterwards and we put it on the bulletin this morning. You can't quite tell, of course, here, but it sits maybe 10, 15 feet up near the roof line. And it's a window of a cross. And I found myself wondering while we went about that business, what does it mean for us to sit under the cross, to lead our lives from the most mundane parts of them to the most serious in the light of Christ's sacrifice, his death there upon a cross. That's going to be the theme for our Lenten season. We are going to ask ourselves, what does it mean to live life, to have our faith formed in the light of the cross? Why does the cross matter, in other words? And we're going to take this journey through the lens of Jesus' seven last words from the cross. Each week, beginning this week, we're going to consider in order the different words that Jesus speaks there on Good Friday. We begin today with the first word, a word of forgiveness, a word that seems so simple and yet in reality, I suspect we all know all too well, is anything but. So let us continue listening now for a word from God as we hear these verses from the Gospel of Luke, the 23rd chapter, beginning with the 33rd verse. When they came to the place that is called the skull, they crucified Jesus there with the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And the crowds cast lots to divide his clothing. And the people stood by watching, but the leaders scoffed at him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself if he is the Messiah of God, if he is the chosen one. 
The soldiers also mocked Jesus, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him saying, This is the king of the Jews. Friends, this too is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Good and gracious God, send your spirit once more. Send your spirit that it would be a bridge from this hard story, this hard truth, to the living of our lives today. That somehow, O oh God, through these words long ago and the words of my mouth today and the meditations of our hearts gathered together here in your sight, it might all be glorifying to you. For you and you alone, O God, are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. There are, I suppose, several vantage points from which we can hear these first words that Jesus speaks from the cross. The most obvious, I suppose, is from the vantage of Jesus himself speaking there from high above the crowds, the world spread out in front of him, saying to them these words of undeserved grace, of overwhelming mercy. That's one vantage. Another might be to listen to these words through more of a historical context, it's worth noting that Luke is the only of the four Gospels that reports Jesus speaking these words of forgiveness. And even within Luke itself, there's some debate. You might have noticed, I don't know if it's in the Pew Bibles, in most study Bibles you will find brackets around that verse where Jesus says to the crowd, forgive them for they know not what they do. And the reason for that is that there are many early manuscripts of the New Testament and particularly of Luke's gospel that omit those words altogether. So some people have surmised that perhaps a later editor came along and in order to ease a little bit of the guilt that those first century Jewish and Gentile Christians may have been feeling about their own culpability in Jesus' death, they inserted these words of forgiveness in order to just make it a little more digestible how the cross somehow for us Christians is supposed to be good news. Regardless, of course, Christians for millennia now have looked to these first words in order to find a note of grace, to hang their lives and their own faith journeys on the promise of God's forgiveness, not only for those crowds long ago, but for us today. And so perhaps there is one more vantage point from which we can hear these first words. And that is the view that we take from down beneath the cross, from those people who were standing there that day, not only the criminals on either side of Jesus, we'll get to them a little later in this series, but from those disciples and those strangers and those soldiers and those officials who were standing underneath Jesus as he spoke these words of forgiveness. Maybe we can put ourselves in their shoes and see our own faces there underneath the cross. 
people who have doubted just as much as they have, people who have denied just as much as they have, people who have dismissed Jesus as little more than a pipe dream, people whose own silence has screamed just as loud as those who cried out on that day, crucify him. I have a friend who had a very difficult childhood growing up. She grew up in a home where her mother suffered throughout her adult life with serious substance abuse disorder issues. Her mom made lots and lots and lots of bad decisions. There would be strangers who came in and out of the house at all times of the day throughout her growing up. There were trips to God knows where at ungodly hours of the night, especially for a child. All those decisions meant that there was lots and lots of pain that was felt on the count of this friend and her siblings and the others who knew and loved her mother. And when my friend grew into an adult herself and became pregnant with her first child, she reached a moment in her life where she made a conscious decision to not carry that pain any further. She sat down one day during her pregnancy and wrote her mom a note. The note opened like this. Dear mom, she said, I've spent a lot of my life angry and resentful about your alcoholism and a lot of the choices you have made. I feel like much of my life has been formed by your disease and I have had to work hard to recover from it. But mom, I'm having a baby girl and I don't want to carry this weight anymore. Not for me and not for her and not for you either. So I want you to know, mom, that I forgive you. I forgive you for all of it. She goes on in this letter to explain to her mom that she is making a decision from that point forward in her life to just remember the good things because there were some good things in their relationship. Her mom was the one who instilled in her a deep, lifelong love of books. Even in the deepest depths of her addiction, she would always be willing to take her daughter to the library if she asked. And on those good days, my friend remembered how her mom would sometimes wake up and make a pot of hot tea just for the two of them, no boys allowed. She made a decision, she told her mom, to just dwell on the good things. About a week and a half after she sent this letter, there was a phone call that morning. My friend answered and said, hello? And it was just silence. After a few seconds, she said again, hello? And she heard her mom's voice on the other end. And her mom asked her, did you really mean it? And my friend said to her, yes, mom, I love you. She said there was a sob, and then the phone 
click dead. Sometimes when we are the ones sitting down there around the bottom of the cross, it's hard, isn't it? It's hard to believe that that forgiveness is really for us. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Who, me? God, you know the meanness that I'm capable of. God, I mean, you know the pain that I have inflicted, the hurt that I have caused. God, you know the brokenness of my own heart. Right? Every single Sunday we pray that prayer of confession. Many people talk about that moment in worship as being the most important thing we do in this time and space every Sunday where we confess before God and neighbor our own need for God's grace because we are so steeped in sin and brokenness. And every single Sunday we hear the good news over again, don't we? Friends, hear the good news. In Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. But I know for a fact that there are some of us every single week whose hearts get on the phone as soon as we hear that. They get on the phone with God and they say, God, did you really mean it? Did you really mean it? Dietrich Bonhoeffer is a name that some of us might know, a mid-20th century German pastor and theologian. He died at the hands of the Nazi party right near the end of World War II simply for his Christian witness, his refusal to go along with what so many others were willing to go along with. It was Bonhoeffer who coined that phrase, cheap Grace. Y'all ever heard that phrase, cheap grace? He was disturbed throughout his life how easily Christians seem to bandy about talk of God's forgiveness. People of faith supposedly who would just go out and do whatever they want and then they'd come to church and they'd hear you are forgiven and then they wouldn't change a bit. They'd go out and just keep on doing what they're doing and then they'd come back the next week for some more. That's cheap grace, he says. The forgiveness, he says, that we actually encounter in Christ there on the cross, it is anything but cheap. In fact, it is the most costly thing that we can possibly imagine. For it is forgiveness that comes at the cost of Jesus' own life. Right, Bonhoeffer's thing is if we are to take God's forgiveness seriously, then it should cost us our lives too. Maybe not literally in the sense of Jesus or in the sense of Bonhoeffer's own life, but surely it could, should cost us the way that we go out and live our lives. Right, if the forgiveness we meet in Jesus Christ is this, this love that goes out and it loves people like us, people who are hard to love, then maybe that means we should go out from this place as God's forgiven people to love others who are awfully hard to love. 
right? If God's forgiveness in Jesus Christ reveals to us a God who is willing to spend time and treasure on the most wildly obscure and outrageous things, then maybe we too should be willing to spend our time and our treasure on things that the world tells us makes no sense. Things like water for people who we may never meet. Can you imagine doing that? Right, Bonhoeffer says if if the forgiveness that we meet in Jesus Christ is the kind of forgiveness that, that will cause people's hearts to break, then maybe we should go out and love others in a way that risks breaking our own hearts as well. One of my best friends was telling me about a conversation he had with his daughter not long ago. She's young, three, four maybe. And she said to him, out of the blue one day, Daddy, does Jesus fall out of our hearts when they're broken? He said, what? She said, well, you talk about Jesus. He's in our hearts. So when our hearts break, does Jesus fall out? The most beautiful truth, though, is no, Jesus doesn't fall out. In fact, what the gospel of Jesus Christ tells us is that it is that it is only when our hearts are broken that Jesus can finally find his way in. Right, to take that perspective from down below the cross, to stand there and hear Jesus' words of forgiveness shower down on us, to let it seep into every aspect of our lives, from the most mundane to the most serious, it is to risk having our hearts broken open. And it is only, friends, when our hearts break open that we can fully know God's glory. For that dear friend, to this day, one of the deepest hurts in her life is that her mom could never believe it to be true. She hung up the phone that day and she never called back in a sense. She was never able to believe that what her daughter told her, you are forgiven, was actually true. Friends, sometimes the hardest thing is to believe first that we are forgiven. Because it's only when we can believe that for ourselves that we can turn around and offer that grace to a world that so deeply yearns for it. Did you really mean it? Jesus' first words from the cross, that's the gospel's answer to that question. Yes, Jesus says, I love you. The love I give you, he says, it's not a cheap kind of love. No, it is a costly kind of love. The kind of love I give you, he says, it's not the kind of love that forgets the past, but it sure does invite you into a new future. Did you really mean it? Yes, I love you. Friends, I guess my hope for us today and for this Lenten season is that each of us may stay on the line rather than hanging up that each of us may stay on the line long enough to hear and to find out and to live 
what comes next. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen.